Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Everything Is As Bad As It Seems podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Fawcett. It's episode number five. We're going strong, daily, in and out, in the grind. I am fucking the internet with my penis of knowledge today. And my penis of knowledge today is going to present to you something that's made me very angry. I've seen, I've been looking through Twitter. Um, Durham University Freshers Week. Everyone in their rugby shirts. You know, the stripy rugby shirts, mate. And we've all got our fresh mullets ready for Freshers Week, you know. We're going to get some, you know, we're going to get some nice, uh, n- nice uh, shoddy, shoddy second-hand trainers from the local charity shop. And I'm going to put on my uh, red, my bright red chinos, mate. And we're going to drink some Chablis before we go out tonight. There's something that really disturbed me now looking on Twitter. Uh, Let me read you the headline. Durham University freshers aim to have sex with poorest student. Durham Durham University has been rocked by claims that new students planned a competition for posh lads to have sex with the poorest girl on campus. Now, what does that say? What does that say to everyone? You know, we're just going to go out, we're going to have a few drinks, you know, we're going to have a couple of fucking, going to have some, uh, what what do they drink? Pims, mate. Pims. We're going to have some fucking Pims today, and we're going to shag the poorest girl on campus. What the fuck? What the fuck? People actually sit there on their little group chats and actually say, let's, let's do this. And they think it's a good idea. And whoever leaked that, I mean, I suppose it's on a group chat or something, I don't know. Whoever leaked that, you're a fucking god. Because now we have material. And all the little fucking posh boys that are running about Durham Uni, and many unis like it, actually. There's a lot of them at Edinburgh. And they're just fucking rude. They're just fucking rude. Those types of boys. You know, they're like, they're all over six foot because they put something in the food at school. Uh, and they all play rugby. And they're all alright at rugby, actually. They're not bad. That's probably the only good thing. It's the only redeeming feature about private school boys is that they are good at rugby. But, I don't know. I went to a private school for two years, and it wasn't considered the, uh, the nicest private school. Which is really weird. There's like a tiered system within private schools as well. Like, your private school's cheaper than my private school. That kind of shit. Like, there is even that kind of shit within, like, the private school, like, community. And it's like, people ask you, like, you, I don't know, you go through if, to, like, you meet people like that. And they always ask you, like, what school did you go to? And if they can recognize the school you went to just by ear and just by them knowing that it's not one of the posh ones, they go, oh, right. Even though you, you yourself are privileged enough to go to private school, apparently you're nowhere near as privileged as them. And this is the thing. Uh, they're, no, they're just on another complete level of just oligarchy. Elitism, yeah. They, they, I don't know, they're really creepy. That, it, to me, that just sounds like something that they would, like, those guys say on a daily basis, which worries me. Like, they are like that. They're really sexually just really creepy guys and I don't know they feel like they're entitled 
they feel like they're entitled to to a woman's body at some point. And that's why, you know, you do see a lot more rape and shit go on at private schools. You know, you do think, oh, it's the scumbags that do all the raping. Yeah, it is the scumbags that do all the raping, but you know who the scumbags are? The scumbags are the kids that have grown up their whole lives with a silver spoon in their mouth, always getting what they want. And as soon as they get into a situation with a girl, uh, they've never not had what they... You know, they've never not gotten what they want, and so... There's an odd power dynamic there where, you know, the men sort of have this expectation upon themselves to do deeds and to do things and to do challenges because normal things in life are too easy to get. And so breaking social norms or doing something that isn't necessarily considered to be okay and getting away with it for them is a lot more fun than playing by the rules. And now that's a problem. That's a big problem for, especially just people that go to university because you know you don't necessarily understand when you run into these kind of people that they don't like it when you say no. And it's not just, it's not, it's not just girls, it, it's everything. It's do you wanna do this, do you wanna do that, do you wanna get a gram of coke, do you wanna kick this fucking homeless man in the street? Do you want to litter here? Do you want to throw this through a window? Do you want to break this? Do you want to do that? Do you want to do this crazy thing? Do you want to go to this person's house and steal everything there is inside it? <coughs> the biggest thieves I know, the biggest vandalists I know, are lads who will send you a check in the post the next day. Because they have no respect. They have no respect for private property and what it takes to earn things so you can buy them and build a home and create something. Because they don't get that. You know, they can just ring someone up and they've got a concierge service. Or they've got their fucking hedge funds that their dads have made for them. And they can just pay, every, pay everyone off and it's fine. But they don't necessarily uh, understand what it's like to build and make something, you know. Um, that's kind of a big issue, you know. These guys are very... They're very strong guys, they're very, uh, their social groups are very big. They usually tend to be in large social groups. They tend to stick together. Um, and they are just, you know, weak, weak-minded people with a lot of money to make their weak minds satisfied, to satisfy them. And, uh, we were talking about this morning. We were talking about um, how a lot of people live moment by moment today. A lot of people live moment by moment, and a lot of people chase pleasures. A lot of people that go to uni or at uni now haven't really gotten into the whole I'm at university now, I have some responsibilities to myself. Uh, nobody's there's, there's there's quite a few characters out there who haven't necessarily realised that their life is theirs and it's now matters what they do, depending on how their life is going to go. And um, you know it it, it kind of worries me. You know it kind of worries me. When, what, what point, at what point do you realise as a kid that, or as a young adult, that you actually have responsibilities? 
and there are some things in life that you you know you, you don't want to do but you have to do them like the other day we had the dishes out for a couple of days i mean i was trying really hard not to do the dishes because i've done the dishes for the past three days so i was waiting for someone else to do the dishes i was like come on let's do the dishes and they've only just been done this morning um i mean i looked at the glasses and they're a bit cloudy still. They've got like little fucking bits of grease and little tram lines on the in, bet- on, in between the little grids and stuff like that. And I'm just kind of not wanting to drink out them glasses unless I wash them myself. So I've waited three days for the washing to be done and the washing hasn't really been done yet. And, you know, you can ignore that the dishes are at the desk. At your uh, pot washer's desk, which is a sink. You can ignore them. And you can go and chase your uh, instant relief pleasures. As we do in this capitalist society. And just forget about it for a minute. But when you return home, the dishes are still not done. And the guys at home are still angry that you haven't done the dishes. And that's pretty annoying, to be honest, because it's all well and good, you know, going out and seeing people and having a good time and uh, just interacting with the world. That's always a good thing. You know, people people always say to you before you go to university, it's not just the degree, it's also about the experience, blah, blah, blah. But this point in your life, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23... That is the point in your life where you're already doing that. You're already experiencing new things and you're already doing new things. I think when you get to 20, you know, at least when you get to 20, you kind of have to realise that, you know, there are other things that you have to do, you know, to sustain your sanity, to keep you going. So remember, guys, if you're at university or if you're at a residential place, if you're living away from home and, you know, mummy and daddy aren't doing the dishes for you. And you're sat in bed thinking, fuck me, I live in a shithole. There's mice under my bed, there's maggots in the bin, Uh, the house stinks, the bathroom's not clean. Clean the fucking bathroom. Do the dishes, do your washing, get rid of that mouse, alright, or that rat, Chuck them maggots in the bin, right? And start over. Start completely over from the start. Be neutral. Get to a neutral level. Okay? And then, you know, then speak to me about how you're feeling today. I can guarantee you money. It will make you feel better doing something you don't, wanna, you don't necessarily want to do in the morning. And having it done by the afternoon... So you can do all the shit. There's nothing better than knowing or doing the dishes or doing something you don't want to do. And that's my shit. So I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna probably stop talking about that now because I've got it out of the way. You know, you need to. There needs to be you know some form of duty. You know, to feel to feel like you're grounded in the world. Uh, the next thing I really want to move on to today is the uh, 
the American election that's going on in November, first Tuesday, second Tuesday of November, sorry. Um, I'm looking at the polls now. I'm looking at each uh, state. And now what's interesting to me is that Donald Trump, uh, during both elections, suffered big hits in the first couple of months of his campaign. Um, And then all of a sudden on election night, it all swapped. He got Florida. He had Texas. Um, so I'm going to give you a rundown of all the states now. So obviously Joe Biden is ahead with 263 electoral college votes on the polls. Um, this, you know, the, the, the solid states being obviously California, New York, Illinois, New Jersey, Virginia, Washington, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Oregon, New Mexico, Hawaii... Uh, Rhode Island, which has four electoral college votes. Rhode Island, one of the smallest states in America, has four electoral college votes. Um, they're saying now Pennsylvania is going to lean towards Joe Biden, which I am quite skeptical about. Joe Biden is... Uh, they pick Joe Biden because he polls well in Rust Belt states, but... Here's another thing. Democrats do tend to poll well in uh, Rust Belt states. Jimmy Carter, in the 70s, he uh, polled very well in uh, states, <clears throat> Rust Belt states such as Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, um, Minnesota, etc., etc. And he polls, they, 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 they do tend to poll well here. But what I'm going to say now here, guys, is do not put your money on Joe Biden. Donald Trump has uh, a, a voting base in the Rust Belt states who uh, typically make up the uh, 50, 50 plus age group. And this 50 plus age group is very uh, inactive online. They're very inactive in polls. And they're very they're not very trustworthy or they're not very trusting of the mail-in vote system, obviously because of what Trump has been saying about the mail-in vote system. Now, I don't think the election is going to be uh, delayed. Uh, I think the result will be delayed. But, you know, everyone, everyone on CNN is complaining about everyone saying, oh, they're, they can manipulate the results, they can do this, they can do that. And, you know, Fox is obviously saying the same thing too. Um, people seem to forget that before, you know, the 1920s and, you know, electronic communication, you did have to wait a week for the president-elect to be nominated. And the, there's a reason why, you know, the president only moves into office in January and not straight away in November. It's because when the Constitution was written, it would take usually a couple of weeks for the electoral college votes to all be counted and all be collected, and for the you know the victor to be uh, to be noticed and uh, nominated, and so this process isn't a new process, guys. It's not an old process. It's a process that's been happening for a couple hundred years now. It's just in recent times they haven't been doing it. <clears throat> but I think it would be interesting actually to see the American system go back to the way it kind of once was with this delayed delayed kind of voting system and how we slowly digest what's going on and I think um I think that's going to that's going to go well for Trump. I think the more people you see voting democrat in uh in these big states these early on like these early on like for example like Super Tuesday how we had in the uh, democratic primaries 
you had a big jump in Bernie support on uh, Super Tuesday. Um, and I feel like the more uh, the more action you see Biden supporters take, uh, the more rallies you see them go on, the more things you see them say, uh, the more public they become. I feel like the Trump reaction will be twice as big. Now, I don't necessarily think that's because Trump has a higher level of support but i think it's because the trump's main voter base is a lot more uh, it's it's a lot more mobilized and uh, they have a lot more direction <clears throat> than biden supporters because biden supporters don't necessarily support biden they support the democratic party and they want anyone but trump to go in and this is the uh, key difference between uh, the vote that's going uh, is number one, you have the Republican Donald Trump, who obviously has the same policies as he had last time, a little bit um, a little bit adjusted, not to include the foreign wars policy, which he obviously broke, which a lot of people aren't happy about, but they can give it a miss for low taxes. And then you have the Biden supporters. You have the Biden supporters who are, you know, lifelong, either lifelong Republican supporters who just cannot stand Trump, or... They're, you know, they're middle ground, uh, you know, white collar liberals who, you know, obviously want to appear like they're doing good for, you know, the social justice and, the, you know, the social state of America as it is. They feel like they contribute more voting for Biden uh, because Biden promotes a more accepting, you know, tolerant society where... Um, Hand-ups and leg-ups are given to people who are disadvantaged based on their uh, socioeconomic and racial standing. And uh, those policies are very, actually very popular uh, within sort of uh, university-educated, white-collar, liberal uh, voting bases. Because uh, the white-collar, liberal voting base tends to be university-educated and tends to be um, well-read up on uh, certain uh, political ideologies such as new liberalism, modern liberalism, uh, democratic socialism, social democracy, etc., etc., uh, people tend to use their political standings and their academic skills to sort of kind of create this platform for them, so that they can have, so they can feel like they're helping other people. Um, and this is what dominates most of the voices in uh, CNN and the liberal media. Uh, they are smart people. They're all smart people, and they're all trying to figure out how to help other people. And now that seems to be the basis of their politics. Whereas, you know, uh, the Republican voting base is sort of more like, you know, leave me alone, government. Let me do what I want to do. Um... I don't want to pay that much tax, you know, I don't want to be paying for schemes that I'm not necessarily going to be eligible for, uh, I don't want my tax money going towards foreign wars, I don't want my tax money going towards things that we don't necessarily need, uh, which is kind of why I like the Medicare for all idea, it sort of stabs in the side of Republicans. Uh, uh, I know I've been hearing a lot of people, we've been having a lot of conversations, and it seems to me a lot of the liberals, a lot of liberal people in the UK, most people in the UK, are, you know, don't like Trump. No, that's just, a, that's a fact. 
you know. We hate him. Our country doesn't like him. I like him. I think he's a funny guy. I, I don't think you should take him anything else other than who he is, you know. He's a, he's a populist president. He's a personality. He's not a politician. But <clears throat> what a lot of people don't seem to understand is this uh, Medicare for all. Now, <clears throat> a lot of us uh, uh, back home have the NHS. The NHS is a national health service. It's a nationalised... Uh, it's nationalised, basically, hospitals. And it's a nationalised hospital system where the GPs and the nurses and the pharmacists are all... Um, are all employees of the state and they all get paid by the state and they run everything's run in state run hospitals you know the the land isn't necessarily state run because of pfis under tony blair in the uh, early 2000s but you know we kind of trying to get the money back we're tr trying to build our own hospitals now because we realize that's the cheaper option even though it hurts the bank straight away but now we kind of have this nationalized health service and uh, you hear Medicare for All uh, over the pond, and it sounds very much like the NHS. It sounds very much like everyone has access to uh, healthcare, and you don't necessarily have to pay for it straight away. <clears throat> what people don't necessarily seem to understand about Medicare for All is it is not, na it is not the NHS. It is not a national health service. What it is, in fact, is a government-subsidized private uh private insurance base, private insurance fund, which in 2012, I think, 2011, was, it was an, there was initiative started by uh, Barack Obama to get them going. And basically what it meant was, uh, so that basically there was an imbalance, is that old people pay more insurance because they're higher risk. And so what it tried to do was it tried to get lots and lots of young people to sign on to these insurance policies to drag down the prices of these elderly um, insurance policies to make Medicare more accessible for everyone. Now, that was the tactic that Barack Obama used. And, the, and what basically kind of happened was a lot of young people signed on to this, these uh, insurance policies when they didn't necessarily need to. And basically they were paying for something that was, first of all, overpriced because it was subsidized by the government. And second of all, was not necessarily that great of an insurance policy itself because, you know, there is no necessarily, there isn't really much negotiation it is just you pay this. This is what you have to pay. There's no necessary, there's no necessary choice in there, um, and so what it does is it kind of makes a joke out of you know the mixture between private and public health. Now the Democrats don't want a national health service. Bernie Sanders wants a national health service. Bernie Sanders wants to nationalise your hospitals and uh, your schools, etc. But uh, these white-collar Democrats, such as Joe Biden, what they want to do is they want to create a sort of uh, synergy between private companies, private health um, providers, and the government. And so, what we're going to try, what we're going to actually see, is the government paying for these private contractors to issue out insurance policies. It doesn't seem too bad. 
We have a lot of fusion between private and public in this country. We already know it costs us a lot of money, but it is effective because these private companies are structured in a way which makes them effective at doing the job. But what it does not make them effective at is as a business wanting to get the best offer for the people because necessary, uh, they necessarily are looking for profit above their service. And the only profit they get is off the government. And so everyone pays when the government pays. And this is what, um, this is what blue-collar Republicans really don't want to have to do, is they've got a payment plan, they've got insurance through their work, and what they're going to have to, what they're going to end up seeing is they're going to end up seeing uh, insurance prices skyrocket because of the lack of competition between companies. Because there'll be one state-subsidized company that gets all of the new contracts. And now what they'll end up doing is they'll just end up making uh, the uh, hospital system more expensive for everyone apart from a certain diaspora which is fine it's fine it works in a way that you can target people that you need to get on insurance policies but what it does not work for are your average tax-paying republican um, rural living people you don't smoke cigarettes you know, you don't have bad health, who are relatively young, who are working, you know, 60, 60, 70 hour weeks. They don't really want to be giving their paycheck towards private insurance companies to be subsidized through the government. And, you know, the debate in America for healthcare isn't necessarily between nationalized and privatized healthcare, which is why. M- me, as a guy, I don't necessarily agree with Biden's uh, Medicare for All stance or his expanded Medicare or whatever you want to call it. It's not what Bernie wants. It's not like a full nationalized health system. It's this sort of hybridized between, you know, private and public. And this is why I don't necess- I don't really support any Democrat policies because this is all kind of where they stand on this sort of centre ground, on this sort of Blairite, subsidised ground. Uh, so here's time for a little history lesson. I was talking to my granny about this. My granny is a lifelong Labour supporter, a lifelong Labour fan, a lifelong supporter of workers' rights, a lifelong lefty, a lifelong guardian reader, a lifelong, just a lifelong social justice warrior, basically. She was one of the originals. She's the OG social justice warrior. And we we got into talking about PFIs. Now, what happened in PFIs is... The UK didn't have enough money for building new hospitals, and uh, Tony Blair really wanted to, uh, you know, re-inject money into the public system because uh, of years and years of abuse from the Tory government, especially from Margaret Thatcher in the mid-80s. And, you know, the public sector in the UK was falling to pieces. And, you know, Britain... Gordon Brown with Chan- as Gordon Brown as Chancellor, you know, 1997 and 1999, we both had a budget surplus. For the first time in decades, 
the UK Treasury had a budget surplus. And now with that money, the government decided to build more hospitals. So they looked at the most cost-effective ways of doing it, and obviously in their circles in Whitehall, they had, uh, they had guys, you know, sitting there who knew how to make a bit of money out of this, you know, and they also knew how to get hospitals there very quickly. And so what they did was they rang up their friends in private construction firms, and they said, look, okay, you build this hospital, you build this school, you build this police station, you build this fire station, but we'll have it on a payment plan. This is the early 2000s in a nutshell. This is early 2000s in a nutshell. We'll have these, we'll put these hospitals on a payment plan and you can pay the rent for them. That sounds good. So for the first 10 or so years, we were basically using hospitals that we hadn't even paid for yet, which is great because we can continue to have money and we can continue to go up and up and up. But 2008, the market crashes. 2008, the market crashes. And what private companies, private, in, private construction companies are able to do is they're able to go big or bust. And so they basically threaten the government with higher rates to keep the, uh, to keep the uh, for, you know, maintenance, et cetera, et cetera, paying people to fix up the buildings. So the rent stayed high whilst costs stayed relatively low after the crash because, you know, you've got to get started from somewhere. And now these private firms were just hauling in money from the government and the government couldn't really do anything about it because those hospitals did not belong to the government. And now we'd have already paid off the hospital bills by now. We'd have already paid off the land. We'd have already bought it with the time we had and the money we made since then. But now we're still paying rent on private buildings for public services that we kind of should have stopped being, we kind of should have stopped paying for a long time. And that is kind of the history of PFIs is they've been a massive clusterfuck for our treasury because we have to carry on paying for something we paid for 15, 20 years ago now. And the government is obviously trying to sort these things out. They're trying to renegotiate contracts constantly. But you'll never get a better price if you do it yourself. And that's kind of what I'm trying to say about this Biden and his sort of synergistic approach to healthcare is that it's expensive as fuck. It's great to the point of use, and it works very well for the first 10 to 15 years. But who's going to be picking up the pieces afterwards? Now, it's certainly not going to be Joe Biden. It's certainly not going to be Kamala Harris. And it's certainly not going to be Donald Trump. So the next election in the next 15 years, in the next, well, 12 years maybe even, 2032 election will be about paying off the debt for these private hospitals or these private contracts or these private insurance policies. And quite frankly, I don't really want that to be on the agenda 2032. I think we've probably got a lot more important things to, to worry about than paying off private companies so that they can get their slice of the cheese at the end of the day. The similar thing actually happened to my friend the other day. 
She broke a phone. She had an iPhone 10. Water damage. The screen was broken. I said to her, look, I'll buy you a screen. Or I'll buy a screen. And I can fix it for you. And all you have to do is pay for the screen. She said, no, no, no. I'll take it to someone who who I trust. So she takes it to a shop. And she walks in. She goes, oh, I haven't done it. My phone's broken. So what the guy does is he charges her £92. He says, this is a Samsung Galaxy J4. I'll charge you £70 for this. A Samsung Galaxy J4 you can buy on eBay for about £35, by the way, guys. So £70 for Samsung Galaxy J4. I will give you an adapter for your Apple earphones. And I'll also chuck in, I don't know, he chucked in some other shit as well. He charged £92 for it. Anyway, it turns out that he overcharged her and it was actually £82. So we had to give her a tenner back. And then they went back. We came back. It turned out the adapter was the wrong adapter. So and that adapter was an Apple to uh, Lightning to uh, headphone jack uh, adapter. And so we went back into the shop to return them. And he goes, oh, it's all right. I'll just give you some headphones instead. So we walk out the shop, she goes, oh, you gave me some free headphones instead. And I looked at the headphones, and let me tell you, when I was in year eight, I was selling fake Apple earpods. And I was selling them at £4 a pop. And that's what he gave to her. That was what was in her hands. Those fucking little shitty earpods that I was selling in year eight. It's like a knockoff fucking Nigel. And so she's been fucked over three times now by that company and that's how I sometimes feel like what the government is the government is a is a dumb customer is a dumb customer and they you know Whitehall the civil service whatever they turn up to these private companies and say give us a service and the private companies are the first ones to lay down their offering price they're the first ones to fuck you over and there's nothing you can do As a government, you don't have the infrastructure to do anything yourself, so you are forced to pay for these private insurance firms and these private construction companies to do your bidding for them. And that's the problem is, with government, the same with phone shops, is if they can take advantage of the fact that you can't do it yourself, then they're going to overcharge you for your your services. And that's something I want to leave with you guys today is if you have a problem and you need it fixed, okay, and it seems like it might be complicated, go on YouTube and try and fix it yourself first, okay? You never know. You might get it done and you might save yourself a lot of money. And, you know, me being a uni student, you know, fixing, make do and mend is something that I I fucking live by. I've fixed my phone twice now. I've replaced the screen twice. Uh, It's cracked again and it's broken again, but I'll be sure to fix it again. Um, Just stuff like that, guys. Stuff like that. You know, be proactive. Be proactive. Don't be like Tony Blair's government in the, in the late 90s. Don't be like Joe Biden. Don't think that everything can be sorted with a whisk of money. You can't just chuck money at something because you're going to have to carry on paying at some point. 
Anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening. It has been a pleasure. It is 12.11, and it is the 10th of September. Here is me signing off. I'm Jamie Fawcett. Thank you very much for listening to the Everything is as Bad as it Seems podcast. Good night.